cleaning is an awful job. Wrong! Spring cleaning is an Ajax job. Welcome. If you're joining us for the first time, I also need to welcome a special guest with us in the auditorium today. There's a bird. So uh, if for some reason I get dive bombed, we'll just pause for a moment, reflect on that. And yeah, I did see Alfred Hitchcock's classic The Birds recently, and I'm kind of freaked out actually. So if I'm a little more jumpy than normal, you know what's going on. Uh, hey, we are in the last week of a series called Spring Cleaning. And the whole series has revolved around a question that many of us have asked, some of us out loud, many just on the inside, we'll put it up on the screen, goes like this, uh, why is it that everybody who decides to follow Jesus doesn't end up looking more like Jesus, right? Why is it, why doesn't everybody who decides to follow Jesus end up looking more like Jesus? And, and maybe you've noticed this uh, in yourself, maybe you've noticed this in other people, but, but if we're honest, uh, for some people, you look at them, and there was a moment where they said yes to Jesus, and time has passed, and today they are more gracious, kind, generous, and forgiving than they were before they said yes to Jesus. Jesus has made them better at life and has made their life better. At the same time, we have friends who've been in church just as long, same small groups, same songs, same talks, same discussions. And if they're honest, they don't really look that much different than they did before they said yes to Jesus. So the question behind this question is why? Why is it that some people end up growing in their faith while others seem to stall out? And I know there's probably more than a few of us here who would say, dude, that's me, right? I've done time in church, I've made the sacrifice, and yet I feel like I'm missing something. Well, if that's you, I'm thrilled you're here uh, because our conversation today may unlock that next step in your faith journey. I'm convinced the answer to this question has something to do, uh, has everything to do with something the Bible calls the heart. Now, not your physical heart that pumps blood through your body, but that emotional center from which you live and make decisions and lead and love. It's right at the core of who you are, and it directs in many ways your life. So it shouldn't surprise us at all that the Bible speaks a lot about the heart. In fact, a thousand years before the time of Jesus, Israel was ruled by a king named Solomon who collected wisdom of his day to pass to future generations his collection of wisdom made it into the Old Testament of the Bible in a book called Proverbs. And there's Proverbs about all sorts of different aspects of life. But at one point, Solomon says this, and this is really relevant to our conversation. He says, above all else, like he says, I, you know, I'm a student of life. I'm a student of living life well. I'm a student of living life in a way that honors God. He says, priority number one, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. If you've ever done something and thought, where did that come from? Solomon would say it came from your heart. If you've ever said something and then regretted it immediately and thought, where did that come from? I don't even understand. Where, where is that in me? He would say that is from your heart. In other words, a wounded heart is a dangerous thing because it can impact everything. And that's why it's so critical that we learn to guard our hearts. We learn to clean out the junk that's in our hearts and then we learn to keep them clean. Because whether we realize it or not, our heart 
has enemies. And in this series, we've been looking at four of them. Four sinister things that if they get lodged in your heart, really can complicate your life. We've talked about guilt. We've talked about jealousy. We've talked about anger. And today we get to talk about greed. And each one of these can be thought of as a relational imbalance. We've said that each week, too. We'll put up a slide to kind of remind you where we've been. Um, and if you missed any of these, you can catch up on the podcast or just ask Alexa. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. Um, but guilt is that voice inside that says, I owe you. <clears throat> I took something from you. I hurt you. And now I owe you. That's the relational imbalance that drives guilt. A jealousy is that voice that says, God owes me. I don't have the life I want, I don't have the body I want, I don't have the job I want, and, and so God, you rip me off. And so jealousy is that voice inside that says, God owes me. And again, if it gets lodged in your heart, it does all sorts of damage to you and to those around you. Last week we talked about anger. Uh, that's the voice that says, you owe me, sort of the flip side of guilt. You took something from me, and now you owe me. And if we don't deal with anger, it quickly flips from, we, we lo, sort of lose track of who hurt us in the first place. We're sort of angry at everybody. We're just angry people. So that was last week. And then today, uh, we talk about greed. And greed is the voice inside that says, I owe me. And greed causes all sorts of problems as well. Uh, so I spent some time this week, you know, thinking and reflecting about greed, which was a lovely exercise. Not really, right? But I had this thought. I thought, you know, if we were to go sit down at Starbucks, and we should sometime, not all of us at the same time, because the line would be terribly long, right? Even if we mobile ordered, it'd be bad. But if we sat down and we talked about greed, I don't know that any of us would think of ourselves as a greedy person, right? We would say, you know, most of us would say, I think I could be more generous, but I, but I, don't, I don't know that I'm a, I'm a greedy person. In fact, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who would say that they were a greedy person. And, and greed is tricky because greed disguises itself as virtue. And I'm going to show you a few of the ways this kind of surfaces in language, and maybe a few of us will be like, oh yeah, I've totally done something like that. So people who struggle with greed sometimes say things like, I'm careful with money, right? And that's a good thing, to be careful with money, but, but sometimes that can be masking greed in the heart. Or I'm looking out for my future, you know, I, I don't want to be a burden to anyone, I certainly don't want to be a burden to my kids, so I'm just being, I'm just being careful. Or I'm just a good steward. It isn't, it isn't that... That I'm, I'm, you know, that I'm greedy. I just don't want my stuff to get abused. I don't want my stuff to get broken. So I just, I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good steward. Um, when we think of greed, we think of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, right? Which has been made into like 800 movies. But this is the iconic vision of greed that we sort of hold, right? It's, it's Scrooge, and he's dressed in black, and he's got a cloud that follows him around, and he sits around with piles of gold coins that he refuses to spend on himself or anyone else. I mean, he lives in poverty because money to him is everything. He doesn't want to spend any on himself, and he certainly doesn't want to give to anyone else. He doesn't have a compassionate bone in his body. And we look at that and go, dude, I'm totally not like that. Like when the, the thing comes on cable and Sarah McLaughlin sings about the arms of the angel, my heart goes out, right? So I am not screws. That joke didn't work at all. It is cut from future services, right? Yeah, yeah, you guys know it, yeah. So anyway, but what we're going to discover with our time today is that there are actually different kinds of greed. And when greed gets lodged in your heart, it becomes a grid through which you make all your financial and purchasing decisions. But the trick is something that affects all your financial and purchasing decisions inevitably affects those around you as well. Greed impacts your relationships. And greed is very difficult to see in the mirror, so it's hard to deal with. But fortunately, Jesus gives us 
incredible insight into greed. He clues us in on the fact that greed isn't a financial issue. Greed is a heart issue. And that's why it's so important that we learn to identify it and we learn to sort of root it out if we want to access the sort of life that God has for us. So Jesus, uh, one day, is talking to his followers and he's trying to help them understand what it means to live in the way that God designed them to live and how to live well in the midst of a world that isn't quite what God intended it to be. So we're a little bit broken. The world is a little bit broken. Here's what Jesus says to his first followers. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So apparently there are flavors of greed. Lovely, right? There is the Uncle Scrooge flavor of greed where you don't feel compassion to anyone else. And as we've said, none of us really have that. Uh, but there's another very different kind of greed, one that we need to actively stand guard against, especially because of our culture. Here's what Jesus says as he continues. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life, he says, does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So it's like Jesus clues us in. He says, okay, there's a toxic type of greed. And when you lean into it, you live your life in such a way that you come to believe my life is equal to my possessions or my life is equal to my ability to endlessly add to my pile of stuff. And I'm so glad that this isn't a problem for us in 2018, right? I mean, 2,000 years ago, I mean, they were probably stacking llamas upon llamas and they're, you know, I don't know what they're collecting, but right, right. For us, I mean, this is not a deal. No, if you think about it, we're the first culture in human history that needed to invent the storage unit. Are you familiar with storage units? Yeah. And you're like, what are these storage units for? And, and it's like, well, when we run out of room in our basements, in our closets, in our attics, in our garages, we rent another garage to put stuff in, and then we come up with cable TV shows because people will fill these things full of stuff and then abandon them, and then eventually someone opens them up after bidding on it to see what somebody else's junk is, is in there, and maybe you find something of value, and probably you don't, but we all like to watch you for some reason. It's like watching a car accident. You can't look away, but you want to, right? Yeah, that's how that goes. So Jesus identifies this toxic type of greed in which we live our life as if life equals the endless accumulation of possessions. And I thought, is that, is that really fair? And I thought, yeah, I, I think it is. And that's such a tendency in our culture. In fact, just imagine this with me. If you were an alien in outer space and you were like secretly spying on humans, and a few of you are like, they're out there. I know they are, right? It's just an illustration. I'm not trying to make an argument. Yeah. So if you're an alien, you might look at human culture in 2018 and, and you, might define, you might notice a few things like this. Um, it seems, High Commander, that if they do not shop they die, okay? Um, and we know this. There's a few pieces of evidence. They build shopping structures, and they go to them all the time to buy things. But here's where this gets tricky. They're buying things they don't really need. You see, they go to buy clothes, but they're wearing clothes. And their closets are full of clothes, so much so that they regularly have to take stuff out of their closets and give it to another store where other people go and buy used clothes for lower prices. But it would seem that if they don't shop they die. They have a kitchen that's absolutely stuffed with every sort of kitchen gadget imaginable. And yet when they get the coupon for 10% off of Bed Bath & Beyond, they cannot help themselves, right? Because they know they never expire, even though they say they do, right? Yeah. So you bring the coupon and you're walking down the list of aisles and you find some kitchen gadget that you don't really need, but you believe at that moment will change your life. It's like literally we live as if life is the accumulation of possessions. And Jesus would say that is a particularly sinister type of greed. 
It's when you always want newer and shinier and more right? And I know, I know some of you at this point are thinking, dude, I got out of bed for this. You know, I mean, this is terrible. I feel awful. I mean, if I wanted to feel bad about myself, I would just go play golf. Because <laughs> then, then at least I would get a tan. Like, does this sermon turn ever? Yeah, it does. Hang on, right? Right. Jesus hints that greed impacts our lives and our relationships. I said, when this takes root in your heart, the people around you will begin to think that your stuff is more important than they are, and you'll hurt people's feelings and alienate them to protect your stuff because the people around you have a sense that they're competing with your stuff, with our stuff, right? And I know this because I often find myself in this category. If I'm not thinking, I prioritize protecting my stuff over protecting someone's feelings. And Jesus would call that greed, and he would warn us against it. He said, you got to be careful. If you live as if upgrading and accumulating is equal to life, your relationships are in trouble. So now that we all feel awful, I want to take you to another place Jesus teaches about greed. And thankfully, he gives us an incredibly liberating principle, especially if you want to cultivate a more generous heart in the midst of a culture that reminds us every single day all of the stuff we don't have. And it didn't used to be this way so much, and, and now it is. It sort of drives our economy forward. So here's what Jesus says. Um, it was recorded for us by a man named Matthew who would have heard him say these words. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And if you grew up in church like me, there's something about that verse that bothers you, isn't there? Because you may have memorized it as a kid, and it was always moth and rust destroy. Was it not? Are you with me on this? So uh, there, was a, there was a retranslation of the NIV that happened a few years back, and I was in Florida teaching to like hundreds of high schoolers, and I actually said rust, and it said vermin, and I lost the room. It was crazy. But the better translation is vermin. That joke didn't work either, so I'm going to move on again. Yeah, okay. So do not stir up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And just to be clear, Jesus is not talking about never having a savings account. He's not talking about not saving for your kids' college. This isn't a verse about being irresponsible. In fact, at another spot in the Bible, uh, there's a command to be like the ant who sort of stores up for life's eventualities. So this isn't, you know, uh, Jesus isn't saying, you know, be irresponsible. He's addressing those of us who are always swapping out the old for the new. Like, like for an outsider to look at us, they would say, man, they seem to be on like a hoarding mission. You know, they store stuff they don't even remember they have. Jesus says, so don't, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves, he says, treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And you're like, oh, fantastic, store up treasure in heaven. What in the world is he talking about, right? How would I even begin to do that? Well, we know because in a different conversation, in Luke's account of Jesus' life, he actually tells us, store up treasures in heaven is Jesus' way of saying, give stuff away. Okay, let me show you the verse uh, where I got that from. Uh, Luke 12, verse 33, Jesus says to his followers, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So if you were to say, okay, if I want to rid myself of greed in my heart, one of the suggestions Jesus would make would be that I would begin to give stuff away. I'd say, absolutely. Jesus would say, quit thinking about endlessly getting better and newer for yourself. Shift your focus from your wants and wishes to helping someone else with their wants 
and wishes. And when you do, you will lay up treasure, for, treasure in heaven for yourself. So Jesus says, don't be driven by a sense that you must have it, you got to have it, that, that's, that's greed. He's, and as he continues, he tells us why this is such a big deal. And the reason really has nothing to do with others. He clues us in on a principle that can extract greed from your heart. Here's what he says. He says, for, here's the reason, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is here on earth, then your heart will be on this earth. If your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be directed along the things that God wants for you. So Jesus wants us to get our treasure out of our world and leverage it to help other people and fund organizations that help other people. All of this brings us to our big idea for today. It goes like this. Uh, Systematic generosity is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And systematic generosity really is the remedy to greed in the human heart. But but Jesus says, um, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so it's like he says, okay, if you really want to diagnose, if you're like, if something about this morning sort of moves you, and you would say, okay, where's my heart right now? Where my treasure is, my heart will be. Here's what you need to do. Just look at your bank statements, right? Just look at your bank statements. It's not how you feel that, that really tells you where your heart is. It's what you actually do. You follow the money trail, and that's where you know where your heart currently is. Uh, because wherever you place your money, your heart tends to follow. Years ago, um, I had a vivid example of this. It was a train wreck in my life, but um, online trading of stocks took off. Anybody remember this for the first time? Like E-Trade happened, and all of a sudden, from the comfort of your laptop or your desktop, you could actually trade. And I thought, this is fantastic. I'd always been interested in stocks. So I put some money in, and then what I did is, as I was working, um, I had this little ticker up in the corner of my desktop that was constantly updating how much money I made or lost. To say it was a bit distracting is an understatement, if you've ever done this, right? But it got even worse because not only did I find myself constantly glancing up at the stock ticker, I also found that when the stock was down and I had to meet somebody for lunch, I was in a bad mood. But when the stock was up, I was in a great mood, right? But here's the crazy thing. My heart became attached to something I had no control over whatsoever. And Jesus says, where your money is, your heart will be also. He wants us to reallocate our stuff because if we reallocate our stuff kind of out of our world and into others, our heart will follow. Systematic generosity is the key to overcoming greed in your heart, it changes your relationship to money, and consequently, it changes your relationship to people. Now, as Jesus continues, he does something really funny. And if you're, if you're familiar with reading the Gospels, once in a while, you read something, and you're like, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is one of those moments. It seems like he changes subject. Here's what he says. Next verse, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But, he says, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You're like, okay, I follow you so far. Then he says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh Uh-huh. Right. Isn't that helpful? (laughs) Really clears things up. Thanks, Jesus. That's great. I think his original audience followed what he was saying. Uh, But he's basically talking about uh, this, this principle that not only does your treasure tell you where your heart is, movement of your treasure can actually be used to move your heart to where you want it to go. 
See, in this passage, there's two Greek words that Jesus uses that are really interesting. The Greek word translated good in this passage can also be translated generous. So that would read this way. If your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be full of light. And then the word bad can also be translated envious or that gotta have it. So if your eyes are envious, then your whole body is full of darkness. And all of a sudden, a passage that made no sense really does start to make sense when you think about how you experience generous people and how you experience envious people who struggle with greed. It also helps us understand why so many marriages struggle because of money. I mean, if you think about it, why, why in the world would paper printed with the picture of dead presidents cause so much damage to marriages? And it, it's because almost every facet of life is impacted by an envious eye. See, it's not a money issue. It's, it's a heart issue. Or, or think about it this way. Have you ever met an extraordinarily generous person who wasn't happy? Not, not situationally happy, but just approach life with a lot of joy. You know, the people you have to be careful around because if you tell them you like their shirt, they'll give it to you. You ever met people like this? Um, I actually had one as a small group leader when I was growing up uh, here in town in church. His name was Wally. He was a prominent attorney in Grand Rapids, and he had a heart for teenagers. And one day, he came to church wearing a suit and tie, which he did every week. But this week, I really liked his tie. And I just said, hey, Wally, that's a great tie. I was 16. I never wore a tie in my life, right? But I said, Wally, I like your tie. And he says, oh, you like it? Why don't you keep it? And he takes off the tie and he hands it to me. And here's the fun part. I still have the tie, right? Because it made such an impression on me. I mean, now it's ghastly and out of style. But at the time, right, I thought, and so I asked his son, Scott, who was also in our small group, I said, dude, your dad just gave me a tie. And he goes, oh, dude, you never want to ask my dad for anything because he'll give it to you. And as we were walking out of church that day, I noticed his brand new Jet Black 7 Series BMW. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wally was one of the most extraordinarily generous people I've ever encountered in my life. And he carried with him this incredible sense of joy. In contrast, have you ever met a really greedy, envious person who was happy? It's like you might say, well, their whole body is full of darkness. Like every component of their life is impacted by it. And Jesus would say, yeah, this is not a financial issue. This is about the condition of your heart. This is what I'm so interested in cleaning up. Because until you get the greed out of your heart or at least begin leaning in that direction, you can't ever really access the life that God has for you. Because to follow Jesus is to follow a path of radical, sacrificial generosity. And God won't love you any less if you don't. But, but it's like if, if you're here and you're like, I feel like I'm stalled in my faith and I don't really understand what I need to do or what I'm not doing. I mean, I'm clicking all the boxes. For you, this might be a place where you need to spend some time exploring and just being honest with him about what you're feeling. Because in the end, he wants you to experience the life that he designed for you, and he wants you to experience joy even in the midst of this broken world. And one of the steps to that is to pursue generosity and to lean away from greed. Because one of the challenges in our world is we really think like greed is going to bring us to a better life. And maybe deep down we know it's not, but, but we, we fall for it again and again and again. And Jesus calls us out of that. And he says, would you, would you follow me? 
as we talk about creatively, deliberately, and systematically moving in generosity. I'll check it out. Jesus finishes this passage. He says, um, no one can serve two masters. And this would have made a lot of sense in the ancient world, right? Because there were slaves and masters. But Jesus is like, it's sort of like you're going to be following someone's lead. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And say, here are the two. He says, you cannot serve, you cannot serve both God and money. And we don't think of it in those terms. Like, I'm not serving money, but Jesus is like, one or the other is going to determine the trajectory of your life. And it's hard to allow both to. And because you have a Heavenly Father who loves you, he's going to invite you to move into some counterintuitive patterns of life that will, in the end, bring you the life that you most deeply desire. God will lead you to a life that opens your hands and opens your heart and opens your life to make a difference in the world. Money will cause you to close in on yourself, just simply focusing on it. It's designed to be a tool for life, but it so easy can, easily can become the thing that guides our life. So, so let me tell you how this message lands with me. And over the years, I've delivered something similar a few times, different audiences, different places. I always find myself thinking, okay, if I take Jesus seriously, can I ever get a new iPhone, <laughs> right? Can I ever, like, upgrade my car, uh, do I have to wear clothes that don't fit anymore because they're clothes, right? I mean, can my wife ever go to Target? And then I think, oh, no, maybe not. She shouldn't do that. I'm just kidding. No, right. She's not here yet. Don't tell her I said that. Yeah. How does this actually work? And I think the reason so many people don't do anything with these principles is, is because they seem too extreme to really try. I don't think Jesus is saying don't ever buy anything new. And so what I've done over the years is I've had conversations with people uh, people of faith, people who have said yes to Jesus. And I said, what do you do with this teaching? How does this actually land in your life? And here's what's interesting. They've all said a version of the same thing. Uh, some of them had access to a lot of resources. Some of them really didn't. But they all basically came to the same thing. They said this teaching intersects life through something called percentage prioritized giving. I wish I had another P because it'd be three P's. It'd be better than two. But percentage prioritized giving. And, and you're like, I wonder what that is. I'm so glad you asked, right? Um, percentage giving is when you choose a percentage of your income and decide up front that you're going to give it away. You're going to take it out of your life and you're going to put it into someone else, someone in need to help someone or to fund organizations that help someone. A priority giving is when you give that money first. You know, you direct your income to what God is doing in the world and, and not just a sudden reaction to being presented with a need. This is like a calculated, planned, intentional percentage of income that is set to something outside of yourself to fund things that have nothing to do with you. And when you do this, here's what's so crazy. Your priorities are instantly in place because you're putting someone else's needs in front of your own. And because this is a heart issue, what you're going to find is it begins to change your relationship not just with money, but with stuff and with the stuff you want and the stuff you need or the stuff you think you want and the stuff you think you need. And when that starts to happen, you start to look a little more like Jesus. Here's what's so crazy about all this. If you really start to prioritize a percentage, it will change your relationship to your stuff. 
Now, now, for those of you who are new to faith, I need to give you a disclaimer because it's always tricky to talk about this in church because, as you know, we don't sell anything around here, right? And so we're funded by all of you and, and your generosity. But if you're here and you're new to faith, I need to give you a disclaimer. I would, I would just say, if you don't trust us with your money, don't give to us. Give to someone you do trust. Pick a percentage and give it regularly somewhere. Um, and if you can't, or if that idea, you're just like, Oh, I just can't do it. You need to ask yourself why. You may have given greed a grip on your heart, and it may be stealing from you the life that God has for you. So, so I just need to tell you something, um, and this has been consistent for 20 years. You will never regret it. If you choose percentage prioritized giving, you will never regret it. I've never met someone who opted for generosity over greed and regretted it. And I've never met an unhappy, generous person. And you've never met a happy, greedy person. So the challenge is actually pretty simple. Um, would you have a conversation this week, if this isn't already part of your life rhythm, with whoever you do life with and say, what would it look like for us to put a line item in our budget and say, man, this is going to be money that's given outside of us, outside of our needs, outside of our family, and, and just give it a try and see what happens. If you don't feel your life and your heart begin to open, it's how we were made to live. Would you stand? I'll close us in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, this morning, just want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for preserving the words of your son. Thank you not only for sending him, but for the way that he gives us these principles, these invitations. Thank you for loving us enough to let us say no. Thank you for loving us enough to invite us again and again and again. And so I pray for all my friends uh, who maybe need to just spend some time with you talking about all this and maybe spend some time with whoever they do life with and say, okay, maybe... Maybe it's time for us. Maybe we've been pushing this off for years and maybe, maybe greed is a grip on us and we didn't even realize it. But I pray that as they open up in faith, your faithfulness would intersect and they would feel their relationship with you moving more and more from black and white into color. Thank you for loving us, not because we are good, but because you are good. Most of all, we thank you this morning for Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. My friends, go in peace. I'll see you next week.